Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. This is the end of September, so we're wrapping up our song-inspired theme weeks. This has been a good run. I like it. Maybe we should do movies next. Oh. The possibilities are so endless, and, you know, we're going to do this until we're crotchety and our teeth fall out. So we, we need so many ideas. We do. Give them to us, people. Yeah. Uh, I like I like the movie thing. Or yeah. if you have other themes, send them our way because we love the themes. We do. Anyway, so this week's theme, it's going to be inspired by Miss Kelly Clarkson, Clarkson herself because of you. And it's so accurate it will for this oh yes it will all make sense by the by the end of thursday when you listen to part two if you're a patreon though you get it right away so feel free to join our patreon crimecuriouspatreon.com we have levels at membership levels mm-hmm. at three five and ten dollars a month and it gets you all kinds of different things we and also have a bonus episode coming out soon we do another one yeah we're, we put out two yeah so yep. if you sign up you're gonna get one like within plus, the next couple days plus be able to binge all the other bonus ones that we've already released so what a I mean, rewarding experience i mean i want to go join now. i know <laughs> But anyway, so this week is going to be very Charnel focused. So much Charnel this week. I did a huge dive for us. I've actually been working on this case since March. March. Yeah. I've wanted to bring you this case. And actually, I got, after I read a book, I got in touch with the authors. We emailed back and forth several times. But we were trying to set up an interview with them vacations happened, life happened, it didn't work out, and I just couldn't wait anymore. So you just kept diving even more. I did, and I just... I you just, went so deep that you're going to get those, uh, the bends, you yes. know, when they get certain <laughs> level below the right, sea. Right, right. You sound <laughs> so smart the bends. right now. Right. I have the bends. It's from a shark movie, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so I'm not really that smart. But. I do, and I'm just going to throw it out right now. I've got 36 pages of research, and my, so much. my source is... I need to explain to you guys my source right now because really what the next two episodes are going to be about is me. Like I should be a campaign for the sale of their book. I've been telling everybody about it. I want everybody to read it. I'm going to bring you this family story, but there is so much more. Even after 36 pages of research that I have in front of me right now, there is so much more that I cut out because I don't want to take away from all of their meat and potatoes in the book, but there's a lot of necessary things I need to tell you in order for you to understand the story in its fullest. This is, we're talking about family court cases this week, Mm -hmm. and this is an incredibly detailed story. But this book, go out and buy it right now. It's called The Girls Are Gone by Allison Mann and Michael Bradcorp. Now, Allison is the paralegal that happens to be on the father's team in the family court case. Michael Bradcorp, we're not going to hear from him until part two, Thursday's episode. But he ends up being one of the media outlets, one of the journalists on this case that helps solve it. Oh, these okay. are two very 
well-written, very intelligent, and very professionally ethical people. As we get into it, you will find out that there's a lot of skewed social media that happened in this case, a lot of skewed journalism, some downright, I would think, borderline illegal journalism that happens. These two wrote this book to bring this family story to light but set the record straight, and they used all of the court records to do so to disprove what the mother had tried to spin throughout the entire court case of her being the victim, okay? Gotcha. So it's intense. It's a great true crime story. Sounds like there's a lot. There is a, a lot. lot. And so I'm, I'm trying my best to tell the story so that the family's story stays alive because there's still even some things today going on with it but it's a it's a great story but I just want you to know that this isn't one side of the story okay this is this book was written using the court documents I mean Allison Mann was the paralegal she was there in court for these court hearings Mm -hmm. this is factual things this is not a he said she said situation so I'm going to tell you a very a very intense a compelling story. If you're from Minnesota, there's no way you don't know about this case. Oh, it was a big deal? Very big in Minnesota. Yes. And that's the surprise. Everyone from now on will be just talking about this case the rest of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Minnesota. That's how deep she went. It was was intense. Well, that's how uh, spinoffs happen. Like the one case that I had researched, the Boys of Hannibal. Yeah. Um, whole, Whole podcast devoted to just that case because there's so much to dissect oh absolutely someone could do a 10 part series or more on just this case to include all the financial stuff that happened in it all of the other criminal stuff there's a lot of adults that go into this crime that was committed and all of their court hearings and whatnot and i'm just summarizing it for at the end for the sake of of time and whatnot but Absolutely. It's so convoluted and this goes over a span of years. So imagine me trying to wrap this all up over a span of years. So if you want every single intimate detail, get that book. It has won awards and rightfully so. And we'll talk about those at the end. So I just want to shout out Allison and Michael. So sorry that our interview before we aired this episode did not work out, but hey, who knows? Maybe they would like to come on later after the guests have heard it as well. Never know. Throw in throw in some more information for us. So I've been following them on Twitter. They're amazing people. And you'll hear more about that too. But get their book, guys. The girls are gone. It is fabulous. Very well written and gives you all the details that you need. I will remember that. Um, And we will link it as well in our show notes, which are in the episode description where all of our sources go. We're going to start today on August 31st, 1991 in Edina, Minnesota. That's when Sandra Grazzini married David Ruckey. We've been in the 90s for quite some time. We have, but we're not going to stay there. This oh, is just okay. a brief overview of their life. Just the, mm-hmm. the life, gotcha. I've just we've had some er, a lot we of early '90s states mm-hmm. in our cases lately. Yep. Now, Sandra Grazzini grew up in a very wealthy family. She was the youngest of seven children. She attended Richfield High School, where she was very a very outgoing gymnast and cheerleader. Okay, she was uh, considered to be very pretty. She did pageants, that sort of thing. David grew up as one of four children, and his parents had a more traditional Minnesotan upbringing. Uh, His parents worked very hard for everything that they had. 
He attended Minneapolis Southwest High School, where he played the big three sports, as we call them around here, football, basketball, baseball. Mm -hmm. Sounds just like my boys. He had a lot of friends. He was very popular, really well-liked, nice guy. Um, Just before the couple's fifth wedding anniversary, they had their first child, Nico James. So they actually knew each other for quite some time, dated for a bit, broke up, got back together, dated for quite a bit more time before they were married, then waited five about five years before having a child. So oh, wow. they really knew each other for like a a, long like time. 10 years before they started having children. That just becomes important later, I feel. Nico James was born in June of 1996. I like that name. Oh, yeah. They I've have, always liked it. They have some beautiful names for their kids. Uh, Nico was the first of what would end up being five children born to the couple over a span of eight years. So once they started... Oh, they kept they going. Yeah, continued they to have did. children. They did. And they made beautiful children, so Aww. I do not blame them. After Nico came daughters Samantha, and then Gianna, and then Nia, and their last child was a son named Gino, born in January of two thousand and three. Okay. okay, they had built a beautiful home in the suburbs of Lakeville, Minnesota. Sandra was a flight attendant. And David had brought had actually bought his family's business from his father. So he was working the family business. In the book, they describe how there are literally like endless hours of home videos of the family. Just a normal, typical American family on vacations. You know, the girls' pageants because the girls I love did, home videos. Yeah. And I'm just picturing like a VCR and those big old oh, video yeah. cameras. The, the two-handed. Mm-hmm. You got to hold it with the yeah. two hands. Like the one from my brain bath story that I told you. Yes. My grandpa had one too and he yeah. recorded all of our uh, sporting events with it. Oh, yes. Yep. And there was things like that. There was school events, birthday parties, all that lovely stuff. And again, it's just a normal American family living the American dream. That's awesome. Yeah. Could I, I'm just going to share something really quick. Please Childhood do. memory triggered. Um, actually, adult memory. So my grand, grandfather who has passed away, he was the best ever, but he would record everything with his big camcorder. And I um, one year decided to pay, uh, play adult softball. Oh. And he was like, oh, I want to come to your one of your games. And I'm like... Oh, oh, okay. How do you say no to your grandfather? Of course like, not. You don't. Sure. You don't. And he brought it. Oh my God. He brought it. Adult softball. I was league. in my early 20s. <laughs> and he was so proud of you. He was. And I, my soul left me that day. I Amber, died. I loved it. It was so, so tender and precious. That is the purest. And I was out there dying. Adult. Oh, I bet. Dying. Like, as all your friends were, were they drunk? Was there drinking? Oh like, yeah, you know a, what adult exactly, softball adult leagues softball. are. And here he is, like, we want to capture precious these man. moments of Amber's youth. <laughs> Such a precious man. I love that. And I, I mean, I couldn't say anything because it's Grandpa. No, of course not. And dare anyone else on that team say no. anything to Grandpa? No way. But yeah, that's. I just wanted to share. You know, the day that I was traumatized, if, if slash we, flattered. I mean, it's it so proud. If we ever start a YouTube channel, I want that stream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can probably see my face like just go white in the in the video, <laughs> then bright red. Yes. Anyway, I'm sorry. Carry on. I just was I triggered by the you. camcorder. 
Oh, gosh. So speaking of family, that's a perfect transition, as a matter of fact. Sandra's family, as I mentioned before, was very wealthy. Uh Uh-huh. Her parents, Albert and Nina Grazzini, had set up trust funds for each of their 21 grandchildren. Oh, Because remember, Sandra was one of seven. Yeah. So actually, I'm surprised they didn't have more than 21 grandchildren at that, really, if they had seven children. really generous to do for all of your grandchildren. They did, yes. And so it was in the summer of 2006 that David Rucky discovers that the trust funds that had been set up for his five children had a zero balance. They were empty. Now, Sandra had no idea why they were empty. So David went to his sister-in-law, Nancy, one of Sandra's sisters, and was like, hey, why, what's, what's going on here? Are, you know, are your kids' trust funds empty? She was really surprised by the news, and he described, like, literally her eyes kind of, like, lit up with surprise. Like, she was genuinely surprised. Now, the family, the Rucky family had a cabin that they often vacationed at, and all David knows is that Sandra was at the cabin with her siblings when a fight broke out about the trust funds. He has no idea, since he was not there, what really took place, what was said, But Sandra came home from that trip, told him that her sister, Anne, had thrown a coffee cup at her head. And the next thing that he knows, there are lawsuits and a family rift between the siblings that would last longer than her parents' lives lasted from that point forward. Wow. The lawsuits were a battle of who was entitled to what and And it was very costly to the Rucky family, all right? These lawsuits over the wealth and trust funds literally tore the family apart, and the siblings were kind of forced to pick sides over it. And this is where I say that, I'm just doing a brief summary. There is much more in the book that you can read about the financial aspects, but I'm being careful because Sandra is known to be very um, lawsuit happy. She likes to slap everybody with lawsuits. She's, a matter of fact, even for a brief time, during all of the court proceedings that happened, she had started her own podcast that I understand was like 10 episodes of her just telling her very skewed side of the story. Oh, and really? Yes. And so that's, I don't know if it's still out there. I'm not sure. There have since been court orders placed on her that she is not allowed to post on social media certain things about the family and whatnot, but she violates orders a lot. So I, you know, read about it. You guys uh, can kind of muck through that yourselves, but just know that this particular situation tore her siblings. I mean, people picked sides and it, it lasted for years. The lawsuits lasted for yeah, years. Yeah, that sounds really ugly. And David Rucky had supported his wife throughout this fight with her family and had paid the legal fees. It was a really big mess. And during this mess, Sandra came to David with an idea that she was given to by her older brother, Joe, she said. Now, Joe was known as the financial guru of the family. And he thought that it would be best if if Sandra and David got a paper divorce. Because of the ugliness of the lawsuits, he did not want David losing everything. And this is according to Sandra. He didn't want David to be put in a place where he lost everything like the business that he had bought from his own father and all of the wealth that they had accumulated together as a married couple over Sandra's fight, you know, fight with her family over the trust funds. And this was coming from Sandra. This is coming from Sandra saying, at the advice of my brother, Joe, this is what we should do. And she made it very clear that they wouldn't really be divorced. Nothing was going to change. 
They're going to stay a family. No one's moving out. They're not dividing assets. It's only on paper to protect David's family business and his assets. This just screams sketchy manipulation, overcomplicated. Sandra even called David's own mother who David's mom had lent David's mom and dad had lent them lots of money um, over the years of their marriage. Okay. And she even called and reassured her like, this is what we're going to do to protect the family because of my family's drama right now. And she called it a paper divorce. Okay. And then in this, this is important at this point in time, everything is going great in their life. He has no reason whatsoever not to, with the exception of her family, lawsuits of course he has no reason to not trust his wife I mean quite frankly if my husband came to me and was like hey this is what we need I mean I'm in love with my husband I trust my husband so this is where David was at he trusted his wife so on April 19th 2011 now those lawsuits had started like back in 2006 2007 all right so this has been quite some time with her family Uh uh-huh on April 19th 2011, Sandra asked David to come to the bank with him to sign some paperwork to get the divorce, the paper divorce started. David didn't question Sandra. They had a perfect family, five beautiful, thriving children. Kids are doing great. So that day that he went to the bank, David signed two pieces of paper only, not a big stack of papers. He only signed, he didn't see the full documents that went with those two pieces of paper. It was just two signature pages. So he, oh, okay. So he just trusted that he was Absolutely. doing the right thing, trusted her and signed right. it without seeing like, anything. He didn't question Sandra because he loved and trusted her. They have now known each other for 20 some years. I mean, why, why would he? I mean, essentially just for a second before you start thinking like, wow, David, that's sketchy. Put yourself in that position. You have known this person for only over 20 years. You're married. You're in love with them. If you can't, I mean, literally for us, for some of us, your spouse is the only person that you can trust on on this earth. You have five children together. She's a good mom. I mean, seemingly everything is, is fine. There's, she's telling you sign these papers so that we can protect you financially because, and he has seen the, the legal issues and how much it's draining their accounts for the legal fees and whatnot. I mean, I get it, right? Well, on May 12th, so that was April 19th. So now we're at May 12th, 2011. So not a, not quite a month after signing that paperwork, David came home and Sandra was acting really weird. She was just all of a sudden is like, well, I want a break. And David didn't really understand what she meant and was like, okay, you know, go out, take, take some time for yourself. No problem. She's like, no, you, you don't understand. I want a divorce. And he's like really shocked. He's like, um, we've been married for 20 years. We get along really well. There's no indication that she had been unhappy whatsoever. They didn't fight there. He was confused. And so she just stood there with this blank look on her face after saying, I want a divorce. So David, not really knowing what to do, call all five kids of the, or all five of the children are home. Their oldest is 14. Nico is 14 at this time. So all of them are 14 and younger. He called all his children down for a family meeting, hoping that that would help help Sandra explain exactly like what she means. Maybe we can figure this all out together. It didn't help. She stood there giving absolutely no response, no words, nothing. Oh, wow. So David exclaims, and this is a quote from um, The Girls Are Gone. What do you want me to do? Put a gun to my head? Would that be easier for you? End quote. 
because she is literally not saying one word after telling him, I want a divorce. She won't talk to him. She won't talk to the kids. She will not explain herself further. So he's like, okay. This had to have been the most awkward family meeting Absolutely. ever. Absolutely. And the kids are confused. I mean, David is hurt and confused. What a shock. And, and then she's not saying anything. anything. No, she's just standing there with this blank look on her face. So they're all, the kids are just sitting there sad and confused. So David left the house because he's just, I mean, at this point in time, what is he going to do? He went to a friend's house to collect his fr- thoughts. His friend did offer him a drink as any friend would. I mean, if you came to my house and told me something like that happened, I would have been like, here's a Here. glass of wine. Right. Let's talk about this. But David's like, no. He declined the offer of a drink. He knew alcohol was not going to help, and he needed to think this through and talk to his wife. Sandra, however, had a couple of friends over and some wine after David left the house because celebrating. what else else do you do after you tell your husband? I guess. While the kids are all home. Oh, well. Okay. So when he returns back to the house, he, he was not in the mood to deal with the friends. Clearly, they were intoxicated. Okay. And... He was just was not going to deal with that. So he went right to his bedroom and he is just in his bedroom. He really would like the friends to leave at this point, which, yeah, I don't really know how the friends weren't getting that hint. Like she had to have just told them, I told David I wanted a divorce. Right. So why did they not just politely excuse themselves when he got home? I don't know. David calls Nico into his room and is like, can you go downstairs and just let your mom know that her friends need to leave? It's late. They were being loud. The girl, the kids had school the next day. So Nico goes downstairs to tell his mom. And about 10 minutes later, the doorbell rings. So David's thinking maybe it was one of the women's, you know, significant other or rides, whatever, to come pick them up because they had, they were intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Okay. He doesn't think anything of it. Until a police officer is standing in his bedroom and a police officer is telling him that he needs to leave. And what? He's confused because David's like, um, wait, what? And the police officer says, David, you're divorced. You're not supposed to be here. This is not your home. You need to leave. Oh, my gosh. Now, David is extremely confused because he's like, hold on. It was just a couple of hours ago that Sandra told me that she wanted a divorce. So how can I be divorced? Now, the police officer told him, quote, this is a quote from the girls are gone. I saw the papers. You got a divorce today. End quote. David is like, no, I wasn't in court today. So she didn't waste any time after those papers got signed. She was like, was it later that night? Oh, no. I want a divorce. Oh, no. It was the same day. So unbeknownst to David, those two pieces of papers, the paper that he signed for the paper divorce. He was signing for a real divorce. But, like, he, was it and that it was day? it was that day that it was final. Okay, okay, gotcha. It okay. was that day. I see. I, at first I thought it was, like, signed, and then that night she's like, bam. But it took, nope. after they processed It took and the processing time. Okay, and then was, she was like, bam. It was the day that it was absolutely final that she tells him, Wow. I want a divorce. And he's like, holy, like, for real, And he's like, holy cow. And so now the police are kicking him out of his house and he doesn't even know that he's really divorced. That is cold. Not only that, but he hasn't seen those papers, Amber. Yeah, he never saw anything. He He just signed because he trusted her. Correct. So he doesn't know what his divorce looks like. And I'm just going to warn you. Oh my gosh, I bet he was. It's not pretty. I bet he was throwing up in his mouth. Oh, I 
I'm uh, throwing and shitting up in his mine. pants at the same time. Yeah, same scenes, most definitely. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, my heart hurts for him. Yep. yep. And the police later in different hearings, they do testify and and verify that David was genuinely shocked. He had I can't no imagine. idea that he was divorced. He just had that bomb dropped on him. Yep. Like, uh, I want a divorce. He's processing that, and then a officer. Yep. This is cold. She oh, is yeah. cold. Oh, it's bad. So David is like, or the police are like, okay, someone's got to leave. You're divorced. She's saying that you're not supposed to be here. Someone's got to leave. David's like, well, she's drunk, so she's not going anywhere. I will leave for the night. So he leaves and goes and stays with a friend. But that night, you better believe he did sneak back into his own house, found the papers, made a copy of them, and left. Okay, well, good for him. Because he needed to see those papers, and the police weren't letting him see them, you know. So once he read them, though... The harsh realities hit him. He realized that what Sandra had done since April 19th, when David signed those two lonely piece of papers, she had tricked him into a real divorce. And not only that, but she had given herself everything, all the assets, full and total custody of the kids and left him with all the debt. I know that it seems impossible, but this is exactly what she did. But then she did something that's very calculating. She then started paying off immediately some of the debt that was left to him in those that divorce that he was tricked into. It was a very calculated mode move because she knew David would immediately go get a lawyer and fight to say, I was tricked into this. Who in their right mind would sign divorce papers, giving away his children, all of his assets, and be left with all the debt? So the reason that Sandra went and paid off a bunch of, and let me tell you, she got plenty of Macy's cards. She got plenty. This this woman had a spending habit. She went and paid that off and paid off one of the mortgages. They owned three homes, okay? Uh-huh. She paid off the mortgage to the house that they were currently living in. They had another one rented out, and then they had the family cabin. So she paid the mortgage off. The reason that she did that is because she knew he would lawyer up, and then her defense would be, David wasn't tricked into this divorce. He knew about it and it wasn't until, and he purposely waited until I paid off some of the debts that he, he, that was in his name that he wanted to come back and try to get some of the assets and the kids. Oh my gosh. But at this time, David has no, has no, no understanding of that. He doesn't know that that's what she's doing, that she's paid off these things after filing, after the, this paperwork is is um you know processed so he does lawyer up right away and he gets a lawyer lisa elliott she's amazing and of course lisa immediately filed a motion to vacate excuse me vacate and reverse the divorce decree and start over like clearly they can't be married anymore Uh in a matter of one day this woman broke down their entire relationship of 20 some years over this, like you said, cold, like, calculating why? moves. We never get the answer to that, really. It really, it's just like, why? But he's agreeing, yep, we need to be divorced, but we need to start this over and make this fair. So she files this reverse order. And while she's doing that, while that motion's being filed, Sandra is filing a motion for protection against David in an attempt to make him look like a batterer. Oh, no. This is no. I just trigger alert for any of our male listeners out there who have ever been accused of being an abuser. 
and it was actually you who was abused instead or you were wrongfully um, accused because for just as many as there are legitimate people suffering from domestic violence, there are people out there that exploit that and and cry wolf who are not victims. And it's disgusting. So Because it's not okay. I mean, you have but, told me nothing bad about this man at all. And I do not want, I'm, I'm making it clear from the get-go. I know this is a two-parter and I know that some podcasters that might tell this story might tell it in a way that makes you go back and forth of, well, was he, was he not? I'm not going to do that to this family. Listen, David Rucky and his children have been through enough. I am not going to set this podcast episode up like that to make you wonder if he was an abuser or not. He absolutely was not, and we will hear from the children at the end. But throughout this, these next two episodes, some of the things that I'm going to tell you are going to sound very shocking. Okay? okay? But just know it has been proven he is not an abuser. So these are like the allegations that were brought against him Correct. that she created. Yes. Okay. Correct. And um, so in the motion for protection, she claimed that they were divorced on May 12th and that David keeps coming to the house that they were working through their lawyers for parenting time, but uh, that she needed protection from him for her and for the kids. She claimed that on May 22nd, he threatened to kill her, punch her, and come after her and the children. So the protection order was granted. There were no reports ever of the police coming to the Rucky family home before that night that Sandra called them and said, we're divorced and he won't leave. Okay, none. There was no CPS involvement, nothing. They were a normal family, happy family. Not to say that you're not a normal family if you've had police or CPS involvement, of course. But the picture that I'm painting for you is just a family that went on in their with their suburban life. Like they did not have any history at all of domestic violence, of child abuse, nothing. Not even so much as somebody that you could find like that could say David had a short temper. So at this point in time, the protection order is for the kids and for Sandra. So David can't see the children at all. And the first hearing over the divorce decree didn't happen until June 17th, 2011. Lisa Elliott, David's lawyer, tells the the story of the paper divorce, shows how he was tricked into this. At the time, Sandra's attorney was Catherine Grave. And she paints a picture of a man who was abusive, didn't do anything about the divorce paperwork until Sandra had used the money from her family to pay off the mortgage and the debts, okay? And as I told you earlier, there's a lot of financial manipulation in this case, and I just can't get to all of it. So you guys read Allison and Michael's book to get more details on that because it's insane, the links that she goes to and what she does. So the the judge does decide in this hearing... Yeah, this is fishy. Something is obviously not right. So he set what's called an evidentiary hearing. If you don't know what an evidentiary hearing is, it's an evidence or it's a hearing where both sides of both parties can present evidence so that a decision can be made about the case. Okay. But he also issued an order that no party can dispose of any assets except for things that are necessary for life, like mortgage payments and food. So like Sandra, don't you be going and selling all those assets that you've suddenly given yourself and taken all the money for them, okay? Now, between the hearing, that hearing in July, or I'm sorry, did I say July or June? I'm sorry, that, that hearing, between the hearing in June and the evidentiary hearing, there was also a hearing scheduled for the PPO, okay, that, was, that Sandra placed against David. Yeah. Now, this is kind of the tricky thing. 
Like, he doesn't want to have contact with Sandra. He wants to have contact with his kids, but he doesn't need to have contact with Sandra at this point in time. I would hope he would be about done after all of this. Absolutely. And any contact needs to be going through their lawyers at this point in time anyway. So he is like, you know what? To make this, like, can you make it so that I can talk to my children via text message and um, messages and, and things like that so I can have an open line of communication with my kids. But otherwise, I'm not, I won't. He's like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm not going to complicate this with more hearings of and evidentiary hearings and all that for the PPO. Like, it's her word against mine. And at this point, I just want to move forward with right. getting the divorce and the kids' custody figured out. It sounds like he's like, I accept her. zero contact yes. with this succubus. And, and wouldn't you? But- like, oh my yeah, gosh, I don't want to yes. have contact with you either. The tra- I, Oh my gosh, the trauma. Like, the trauma I am feeling from all of this. I can't imagine, just, like, having to not only process losing your partner of 20-some years. That's just it. The person that why. you love and trusted with no explanation Who literally overnight. flipped a switch. Yes. Yes. Wow. So... I'm still processing it. I'm like, right. w- really? What? It's in- it is intense. I so know. he's like, okay, I'm good with the, the PPO. Right. Like, we're I not just want to talk this. to I just want to be able to talk to my children. Yep. Gotcha. So that is that is what is is granted. And they all agreed. Yep. Okay. You can talk to the kids on the phone. Okay. Via text message. Yep. So he's like, okay, great. Because he's thinking this custody stuff, like we're going to have this evidentiary hearing. Custody stuff is going to get figured out and I'm going to have my kids anyway. You know, like, we're going to split the kids. Like, why wouldn't we split the kids? Right. Right? We've both been involved with the Absolutely. kids their whole life. For sure. So a guardian at Lightum was assigned to the children. Now, the purpose of this person is to gather information and make determinations that are in the best interest of the children and report back to the judge. You and I both know that. We've worked with GALs a lot in our careers. In this case, for this family court matter, because there's clearly some dispute over who should have the kids, a GAL was was also um, appointed to the children. The Ju- the GAL was Julie Friedrich, or I actually think it's Friedrich. Excuse me, Julie Friedrich. She was assigned, and she spent weeks interviewing the family, the kids. Like I said, was making her determination, and what her determination was was that it's in the kids' best interest towards reunification for the kids and David. Okay, so at this point, it's been, as she was doing her interviews and whatnot, it's been a couple months since the kids have seen him. They've talked briefly on phone calls and whatnot, but they haven't seen each other. So she's like, you know, I think some uh, reunification therapy is in order, but it is in the children's best interest to have a relationship with their father. Okay, the next hearing was on August 11th. 11th. Sandra didn't show up for it. She instead took the kids to the Wisconsin Dells on vacation. With her new boyfriend, I'll throw that in there. Oh, we'll okay. Learn, we'll learn about him in a bit. She later told the court that her attorney told her that she could have a 30-day continuance, and so she turned off her phone so that her lawyer, and she turned off her phone, so that's why her lawyer couldn't reach her. And her lawyer's kind of like, um, no, like what? On, so they come I together. Say, I smell a big fat lie. She just. Lots of big From fat this lies. point in time, just don't believe anything that I tell <laughs> okay. you Sandra said. Gotcha. Okay? Unless I'm like, this is what she said on court record. And you know she said it. All right. But Otherwise, that's all BS. It is BS. Okay. So on August 17th, they came together for the evidentiary hearing where all the evidence laid, was laid out to show that David did not know he was signing his life away in a real divorce. David has to be stressing to the max once he's like, oh my, once it hit him, like, oh my God, this is what she's doing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I couldn't imagine the stress before this hearing. No. Oh, I'm I know. stressed for them, well, even though it already happened. It should be noted that the police testified at the hearing, like I said before, that like David was definitely totally shocked and didn't know he wasn't supposed to be in his in So that they hall. noticed, like he was genuinely yes. distraught, Correct. processing, they, confused. They also noted that she was very clearly drunk and that David was very calm and sober. Okay? Because one of the things that she tries to claim is that David has not only an alcohol problem, but a drug problem, too. Oh, my god! When he has no history whatsoever of substance use at all. Wow. Sandra had left David with no money. Okay? He had none. They were in financial stress before this, even. So now he's not able to pay child support, but wanting time with his kids. And this came up in court, too, which made him look bad on his own. And his own lawyer addressed it right away to show that he wasn't purposely being negligent, but that he did not have any money. Like, look at what she's created. This poor man. But of course, her attorney tried to point to that. Now, his own mother did testify at this evidentiary hearing, not only to the amount of money, which was in an amount of $457,999. Let me say that again. Almost half a million dollars over time in their marriage prior to the paper divorce, his parents lent them. And she was a great witness because she also testified to the fact that Sandra did call her and tell her all about the fake paper divorce. Okay. Now, later, Sandra takes to her online. She's a wonderful keyboard warrior. She takes on to online things and claims that David had his mommy fighting his battles for her or for him. Like she's so she slanders everyone online. Everyone. It's so gross. Did she have any of these behaviors before or was it like, it's like a a switch flip? It is like a mental health switch happened. Okay. And we will get to that. So there wasn't anything before this with the manipulation and the lying, creating scenarios. Not that was ever discussed. Wow. This is, I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. Right, right. It's just so, I'm I'm still processing it. The escalation like this, right? It was just like. Bloop, I'm bored with life, oh, yes. and I never dealt I wanna, with my mental health issues, and yeah. here we go. So let me just flip my kids and my husband's life upside down, yeah. and hers in turn, because it never returns to oh, the same. But okay. The hearing, the evidentiary hearing takes so long that they run out of town time, and it has to be scheduled, set for another date of August 30th. Okay, this was like the 17th. Now we have to wait all the way to the 30th. And that night, David gets an email, the night of the, the first day of the evidentiary hearing. He gets an email with a screenshot from Nico's Facebook wall, and it read this. And this is a direct quote from The Girls Are Gone by Allison Mann and Michael Bradcourt. Quote, attention all of my friends. My parents got divorced on May 12th. My dad is a bad person. He is abusive verbally and physically. He has hit all of his children. He doesn't care for any of his children. He is a thief, male slut, and unfit father. He is currently fighting for rights of me and my siblings. He should never get to use, or he should never get us. He has brought his mommy and daddy and sisters in to fight my mom for rights. He is lying about everything he says. About Lakeville Hockey Association presidency, he did not resign. He was kicked off for stealing money from fundraisers and from the association overall. Also included in this was Gus Barger, Tony and Joni Canny. So now she's implicating other people too. I was going to say, don't tell me that she got on her children's Facebook pages. Of course she did. Male Salat. No 14. He's 14, right? He's 14. No 14 year old's going to be saying that. 
He is a drunk. A womanizer. Okay, I have a 14-year-old. He does not know what that means. No, no 14-year-old is taking this much time either. And I retract that. I have two 14-year-olds right now, as a matter of fact, because the other's birthday has not happened yet. Um, He's an abusive father. I cannot stress that enough. Please do not fall for his pleading act. He is lying. He is not a good person. He is blaming everything on my mom and me and my siblings. He acts like he he's a caring father. He has said some of the worst things you could ever say about your children. He doesn't care for his children. Please read this. Do not fall for his tricks. He is a liar. This is not spam either. This is a plead for help. People need to know what type of person he is. End quote. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. How embarrassing for Nico as well. Most definitely. To have that put in his name. Yes. Nico goes through a couple of different episodes of embarrassment. Um, oh, I bet. It, it's, this Who, is, as we know in most tumultuous, in most horrible divorce cases, it only hurts the kids. Yeah, this is so sad. I'm so sad for them. Um, Who screenshot that to one of David's relatives oh, screenshot okay. it, emailed it. So somebody it saw it. I believe. Out. Don't quote me on that. I I forgot to make note of it. Um, the book did say who it was, and I just didn't put it in my notes. But um, he did forward that to his lawyer, of course. Before the August 30th evidentiary hearing, David's attorney, Lisa, makes a big discovery. Sandra Garzini-Rucky had lied. She had claimed this whole time since May until August that she was penniless, that she has, you know, she has no money. She spent all of her money paying off his debts, yada, yada, you know, except that she had $2.3 million in trust money that she'd been moving all over the damn place in an attempt to hide. And Lisa sent that evidence over to Sandra's attorney. Now, through the trial, it was discovered that she went to huge lengths to move that money around and attempt to hide it. But unbeknownst, all of that was happening unbeknownst to her own attorney. And on August 29th, the day before day two of the evidentiary hearing, Catherine Graves, her attorney, mm, she withdrawed counsel from Sandra Grazzini Rucky. She was no longer representing her. Um, don't blame her. No, not at all. I, you know, this is the first time. That in our cases, I've seen this happen, and I'm surprised it doesn't happen more because just as human beings, some of the people that they yes. have to represent, I would have been like, peace yep. the F out. Yep. Good for her. Exactly. She's like, I'm not going to oh, do and, this. And don't worry. She's not the only one that does oh, it. Wow. So it was never really determined what like made her do that but I mean I think y'all can connect connect Um, the dots a little bit I could have I I have a couple guesses yeah yeah so here we are they went on for the August 30th evidentiary hearing and it was cross-examination time it was like Lisa's turn to cross-examine the witnesses right so without counsel present and it's because it's family court it's not criminal they can they can do this All Sandra had to do was answer questions. Like usually in family court, you and I both know, there's very rarely any objections. It's criminal court that does that. So it's like there's no reason why we can't continue without counsel because she just needs to stand up there, sit up there and answer questions. Sandra was purposefully being difficult. She refused to answer questions that showed that she was a liar, especially in the issue of the money. Okay. She was just completely uncooperative. And this is something that you will see from this point forward with her in court. She would, um, I feel like this is already painting a picture of her. 
Yep. I would yep. hope for the judge. Oh, most definitely. So Lisa gave Sandra documents to look over and over, and Sandra would take an exaggerated amount of time reading them, which was purposely annoying the judge. When it became obvious that she was about to prove, you know, be her, proven wrong, be proven wrong that she had money, she blatantly became insubordinate, and the the judge took pity on her because she was without counsel. So Lisa had to point Blake ask her if she had money in a trust. Now. She couldn't answer, so she claimed to have no idea what she was looking at on the financial papers and acted like she didn't understand what she was reading in lieu of just lying on the stand and saying, no, I, or yes, I have money in a trust. She also did what I like to call, and you would recognize this too as a therapist, word salad on the stand. Okay, if you're if you're not familiar, it's a classic narcissistic trait where you confuse the entire conversation to throw off and divert the situation and the the attention from yourself, okay? It's a common tactic that's used. You will see it used several times in this case, and that's exactly what she does on the stand. In the book, you can read the court transcripts, and it is mind-blowing that a judge didn't just, sit, like, throw her out uh-huh. with is obnoxious and the, the things that she was saying and doing. What was she bringing up, just out of curiosity? Um, Everything. Just trying to prove, you know, what exactly did David do to be abusive? What about these financial documents? And it was just, I don't know what you're talking about. I, well, I can't, I just, just, just complete, anything and everything. Yeah. And I can't remember, there's so many court transcripts in the book that I can't, Um, it is a, it is actually a really easy read though. So if reading's not really your thing, like it, it flows really well and it's easy to read, but. This reminds me of like when Charles Manson put on the show oh, in court to deflect from things. A hundred percent. And she gains supporters that come and convolute things as well. This is very Manson-esque. Uh-huh. You will, it's, it you has will some Manson out. undertones. It does. There, There is definitely an aftertaste of Manson that leaves it bitter in your it mouth. Really, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm kind of getting that vibe. But the thing is, she does end up impeaching herself. I mean, with the way Lisa, she's an expert. This, you know, this is what she does. And she got her, finally got the questioning around and she impeaches herself. The other thing is, is that Sandra got to question David on the stand as well. And it basically turned into like this marital spat that was being played out in an open courtroom. I mean, that is just a horrible idea. But since she was without counsel, she had a legal right to represent herself and question him. So on September 21st, 2011, Judge Knudsen, he is the judge that oversaw the divorce and custody case. He agreed that David had been lied to and tricked into the divorce, but that it was clear that these two no longer wanted to be married at this point. And so he did with the order, with his court order, he did formally divorce them. All right. But they had to come back to court to resolve the issues of custody, property, finances, and all of that since the two could not come up to with an agreement on their own terms. And this was really good for David because the court made it clear that they knew what was happening for, to him. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And, and again, so that, that hearing was August 30th. He couldn't put out his orders until September 21st because I don't know if you guys are unfamiliar um, going through a court hearing and and going through the transcripts and coming up with each point of order that you need to make a determination on can be very time consuming. And unfortunately, these two, their all their cases went on for days, and so the orders took forever to come out because you have to get it right and you have yeah. to have time to sit down and make all that right. Yeah. So that order came out September twenty first, two thousand and eleven. This is why you do prenup, guys. You, get, <laughs> there you, you gotta go. do prenup. There you go. 
But Sandra, the thing is, is that Sandra knew that the court was understanding what she had done as well. And so this is a, a quote that I thought summed up things very perfectly from The Girls Are Gone. Quote, what came next was a war fought for years. Battles for everything from kitchen, from children to kitchen mixers, staffed in and out of courtrooms, on the streets, online, and on television. A war would have no winners and a casualty count far higher than anyone anticipated. End quote. Oh, this sounds like a nightmare. And this is really I almost feel like she wanted scene. this. It's like, was she bored with life i don't want to assume what was going through her head because i don't know but it's like well i mean she had to know she, she was starting the revolution when she did this absolutely she like, most certainly did and i don't know if given her mental health state if that's what she was going after or what but we can only uh, speculate yeah. and it's only going to get worse and your speculation is going to get more intense in a moment so in the summer of 2011 and really beyond the kids were not allowed contact with david Sandra's. Uh, I am not even surprised. Right. Sandra started a relationship with a man named Michael. I think it's Rendon. It's R H E D I N. He was a police officer in a nearby city. He ended up moving in with Sandra and her five children and going to court hearings. And this was like pretty immediately that he moved in. No idea if they were in a relationship beforehand. I don't know what the motivation ever was for her to just flip the switch and start all of this besides possibly financial this. because she was she drained the kids trust accounts and was being sued by her family and trying to hide it. I don't yeah. I don't know. And now this random guy's guys just showing up to hear Now me. this now there's this Michael Rundon guy, yep, who's a Oh my gosh. police officer. There's a lot more on him. You lose the you lose your wife of 20 some years, your home, everything, and now this random dude's just showing just, up and like and, oh, and living hi. with your kids and you can't. That is horrible. Yep. Now, remember the GAL Julie Frederich that I told you about? Yes. She sent her first report to the court on November 1st, 2011. Literally, this is the opening line. Quote, on July 2nd, 2011, this reporter met with the mother and the children in their Lakeview home. All five of the children reported they did not want to see their father. They reported he is a bad person in need of anger management and chemical dependence treatment. They reported that he needs to take his medication. He's not on any medication, just so you know. The children reported they never wanted to see their father again until he gets help for all his problems. The report goes on to state that all the children had very similar reports to report to her about their father and that they were scared of the police, that they're not able to have any normal friendships and relationships outside of the home for fear of their father, like coming and abducting them and killing them. Not only that, but the report goes on and on about how David would verbally berate the children, not support them in their desires for acting, singing, or pageants, and instead forced them into hockey. It went on to say that he that they know he has a gun, that they saw cocaine they believed to be David's in the home. It was a powerful and hard report to listen to, especially if you believe any of it to be true. It paints a picture of a horribly unstable man with a drug addiction who abuses his family daily. Nico had also made statements that his father did not want him to be in a relationship with his girlfriend because it would take away his focus from hockey. But another collateral contact, it didn't say which one could be a therapist, could have been a CPS worker because CPS had to investigate all the abuse claims that kept being made by these children, by the way, and they were not substantiated, just so you know. Julie wrote that Sandra encouraged Nico to have a girlfriend, and he's 14, and allowed him to be 
to have his girlfriend in his room with the door shut. Uh, The report went on with all kinds of allegations made between Sandra and David against one another because, remember, she interviews everyone. And the result was that she could not make a permanent recommendation at that time for the children because there was so much convolution going on. She did make a recommendation that it was in the best interest of the children to resume a relationship with their father, but she could not make a recommendation at that time that they should be living with him because clearly they are being made to fear him. So it wouldn't, I agree with Julie, at this point in time where their mental state is, they can't live with him. And it's not of any fault of David's. It's because they have now been manipulated into fearing him. Okay, so she is still saying, hey, they it's in their best interest to have a relationship with their father and we need to get this going. But we got to do therapy first because something's going on here. Yeah. Obviously, she sensed like, okay, something yes, most is definitely. a ruin. For sure. And the... The stories were too well rehearsed from child to child about the abuse. You Okay, I, I was a CPS worker for many, many years, and I still do investigations about child abuse and neglect. It's, in, it's no longer against biological parents. It's in a daycare setting, but I still interview children and go through all that. Children that are being severely abused, honestly, they don't talk about their parents like that. They're very hesitant to tell you just word vomit to you all over the place about their parents' drug addiction, them being abused daily. They are very quick to defend their parents a lot of the time. So, which is something that we're going to find out later. The Some of the kids actually do to Sandra, even though she was actually the abuser. So this to me is a huge red flag of, wait a second, all your stories are aligning like that? Like this is scripted. You have been told to do this possibly out of fear from your other parent like it's it it becomes very obvious the more that you get involved with interviewing children it was weeks weeks later when judge newton newtson was able to issue an order regarding division of the property and the children they had three homes so he gave one to sandra one to david and the family cabin was to be listed for sale you know to equitably divide it they were also ordered to not destroy any documents or property that belonged to the other person they weren't to speak poorly of the other parent around the children or call, text, and otherwise harass the ex-spouse, right? Those are pretty common orders. In terms of the kids, Judge Knutson left it in the hands of the GAL, saying that they were to follow recommendations on reunification therapy when she felt the children were ready. He also ordered Sandra and David to get psychological assessments, chemical dependency assessments, and David had to follow a DV recommendation and, and therapy. He had to go through a domestic violence assessment and then any recommendations from there because of the allegations that she was making against him. So the child support was set at $1,752 a month to be paid by David. And it was backdated to October 1st. And since this came out in November, he was already behind. I Sand- have so many things to say about that. Sandra was ordered to pay a large portion of the attorney fees since she's the one that started this mess with a fake divorce, you know, trick, tricking him. Should have been all I know. of them. Sand- I'm not judging. I mean, this is so complicated. It's, it I'm is. Not, like, it, criticizing it's, their decisions, but. Uh. Sandra had herself a second attorney, Linda Olp, um, who didn't last long. She withdrew from the case pretty <laughs> She was like, quick. no, yep. not for me either. Yep. On January 6, 2012, Lisa Henry joined the case as counsel for Sandra after she was giving an $80,000 check from Michael Rendon, the boyfriend. 
80 grand he just dropped on her new lawyer, Lisa Henry. Wow. So now both, right now, both lawyers' names are Lisa. And this whole time, the kids are not seeing David. They're living with Sandra. Unbeknownst to everybody else, they are being completely manipulated and to fear their father. They're not being taken care of. We don't find out until much later in the story just how not taken care of was was actually happening. That's putting it lightly. In January, what happens is that Sandra starts manipulating and blocking attempts for the GAL to see the kids at school. She did quite a bit of runaround and figuring out, like, the GAL needed to interview the kids to submit her report. Their next hearing was at the end of January. She needed to submit her report. I mean, you and I both know court reports are due two weeks before the hearing. Yeah, yeah. And you got to rush around and get your shit together. So she shows up at the school. The school's like, oh, no, uh, Sandra Gazzini-Rucky told us that no one is to pull the kids out of class, yada, yada. And she's like, um, no, it is court ordered. So she calls Lisa. <laughs> Lisa Henry, who's the new lawyer, is already getting these phone calls of, you need to call your client and let her know she's got to comply with these orders. She's probably like, just remember that eighty thousand yeah, dollars check. Yeah, yep, exactly. This took, is why you're I doing it. I took my it. kids on vacation. Come on. <laughs> when she did finally meet with Nico, she noted that he was very angry, guarded, and frustrated with the system, stating that no one is listening to them. They don't want a relationship with their dad. He quit hockey. He's never been happier. And she, she's a experienced GAL. She could tell that this was not a boy who has never been happier. After learning that Nico had talked with the GAL, Sandra called the school and told them that no one was to remove the children from class and speak to them. So then the GAL called Sandra, Julie called Sandra immediately and was like, hey, remember the court order? So the school got a call back from her lawyer, Lisa, and was like, yeah, she can take the kids out of class to talk to them. So she's talking to Gino. And while she was meeting with the girls she had she had already interviewed Gino so she was meeting with girls that were in that school Sandra shows up at the school as she had a habit of doing and the office had actually adapted this special like Sandra Grazzini Rocky protocol where they don't make her sign in in the office because she always caused such a spectacle they just let her walk back to her children's classroom and get her kid if that's what she wants this is so suspicious Mm -hmm. So what does she do? She shows up right in the middle of the GAL's interview. And immediately when she walks into that room, Julie noted that the interview with the girls was over. They weren't going to, we're done. They're not so going to they, say it. Their knew. demeanor changed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Julie sounds pretty, <clears throat> oh, pretty intuitive. Here's the thing. Julie is a straight up professional. She's very intuitive. And later... There's accusations made against her to get her kicked off of the case. Of course. Mm-hmm. I, that is so, I'm, I'm not. Classic, right? Not right? surprised at all. I know. So like, then, oh, you see what I'm doing. Correct. I'm going to try to get you too. I can't manipulate you. So now you're going to become one of my victims. I got to tell you, these cases that you, you've, you've had a lot of cases with this manipulation factor and mm-hmm. uh, they really pissed me off. They do, me too. It is. Maybe because I'm so, I'm so far from being that way. Yeah. And when. And I, I just, sometimes and, my logical brain just can't process correct. why we do all these things. And I think and, it's because we know so many personally and can see it and yeah. have experienced it personally that it's, it is even worse because you're like, oh, uh, it's almost like a trigger. Like, oh, I so know what it's like to have to deal with well, someone you just, like you this. see it so clearly. You see yes. them just cra- trying to create these tornadoes. Yes. And, um. It's exhausting. It is. And hearing this, I'm just like, 
I'm so over her already. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. And we're only on page seven. I just, I want her to go away. <laughs> <laughs> so she busts into the room and was begging the GAL right in front of the kids. Please don't take my babies away. They're all I have. They're all I have. Please don't take my babies away. Immediately making the kids think that the GAL has the power to take them away from their mom forever. So why would they ever tell them anything bad about their mom? Okay. Because she made it this whole time that she has not, that these kids haven't been around David. She has been making them scared of police officers, the court. She's blaming everything on the court. Like they have the power to take you away from me and you'll never see me again. All of that. Okay. And it's just not known at this time. The Actually, her new lawyer, Lisa Henry, Julie would later learn that Sandra called her lawyer and was like, Julie is taking the kids away from me from school right now. Like falsely told her, like they don't, she doesn't have the power to do that. She doesn't have a removal order, but she called her lawyer and was like, she's at the school. She's taking the kids away from me right now. Her paranoia that she projected onto her children and anyone else who came into contact with her was insane. So did that get Julie to the school? Oh yeah, Julie. Yeah, Julie was there. Or and I'm was, sorry, her. Did that get her attorney to the school? Oh, as well. No, the attorney didn't go to the school. Okay, to my understanding. But Julie's next report was even more dramatic than the first. The report was that of alcohol, drugs, and sex. And literally, Gino told her, "quote I don't know why my dad had sex with other women." End quote. Gino was nine at this time. You guys, that is not something that a nine-year-old just says. And remember. Sandra Gazzini-Rucky is under court order at this point in time to not speak ill of the children's father or talk about the court case. So now it's super obvious to Julie that the language the children were using was adult language and had been scripted, and she stated so in her report, thank God. Love me some Julie. I know. It literally said, according to the Girls Are Gone book, that the children's responses were coached and or scripted. She also recognized that the children had absor- had absorbed the fears of their mother and that they likely aren't fears of their own. However, because of what had been happening with the children and the fear projected onto them by their mother, she recommended reunification therapy take place in take place in a supervised therapy center instead of just like a therapeutic office because the children had been so resistant at previous attempts to get them into reunification therapy. So remember, the judge ordered that quite some time ago in the fall because this is now January and it still hasn't taken place. Because unbeknownst to everybody else, Sandra Grazzini-Rucky had been telling her children not to cooperate with any of the counseling. She did not want reunification therapy to happen, and she was putting up blocks at every attempt. These poor kids. The conclusion of the report that she recommended that it was in the children's best interest to have a relationship with their father and participate in reunification therapy during supervised parenting time at the Children's Safety Center. Now, the review hearing was held January 27th, 2012, and um, Julie testified herself. She was like, listen, this is kind of how I see it, all right? These people have been married a long time. They've known each other a really long time, and they waited even longer to have kids. They made five perfect, perfect children and had no criminal history, no CPS involvement, nothing but an ordinary life, For and Not only that, 20 years of knowing one another and knowing what's important to one another. She said, I don't know what changed, but sometime after May 2011, something did. 
And as an experienced GAL, I know parental alienation when I see it. And that was what her opinion of Sandra Gazzini Rucky was. I know she's not supposed to talk about the case in front of her children. It is obvious that she is. And it was of her opinion that they need professionals to come into the case that specialize in reunification after parental alienation has taken place. And so um, she described how the children look like they're pain, con- pained, conflicted, and unhappy. She talks about how when she met the kids in July, which was in her first report that she submitted to the judge in November, they were living on lockdown. It was 95 degrees out and none of the five kids could go outside. They couldn't play. They couldn't be in the neighborhood because they were so scared that their dad might drive by. And she's like, it was a heightened level of fear. So at this point, we're talking eight months since David has seen his children. And she could also see through all of the bullshit that was being spun about David. So the other thing that she pointed out is that she asked the children to draw a picture of how they spent Thanksgiving. And all they could do was draw a picture of Thanksgiving foods. Then she asked them to draw a picture of how they spent Christmas and they couldn't really remember anything and they just drew like Christmas objects. Okay. And then one of them actually said, quote, I can't really remember or say the right words. They don't come out of, they don't come out right for some reason. Like, I can't remember what my mom told me to say. Oh, that's so sad. So the judge is not pleased. Knutson addressed Sandra Sandra directly during this hearing and said he was not pleased and about how the children were being handled. He scolded her and literally said that he was this close to removing the children from her care completely. And basically the only reason that he's not doing that is because he felt it would throw them into more chaos than they already were in. So he's like, when my order comes out, you are to follow it to a T. Because he ordered him back in the them back in the fall to get psychological assessments, mm-hmm. go through all that stuff. She has not done any of it. David has. David is complying with all of the court orders. Sandra Grazzini Rucky is not. So he's like, you when this order comes out, you are to follow it to a T. And you need to show some kind of interest and connection with your former husband, Mr. Rucky. And you need to show your children that he's not a monster, that the children need to connect with him, and that he's done some things that are positive. You need to turn the kids, and really, you. You need to figure out how you're going to turn the kids in his favor. Sandra agreed on the record. She it's said she understands. Still so crazy how much time went on, you know, that she didn't do any of this. And, and wasn't you know, in contempt of court. And yeah, stuff. I know, because our family court would be having issues with that. But yeah. at the same token, I've seen foster cases carry on and carry on where the parents weren't put in contempt of the order so and i get it the court swamped you don't come back for months that's the problem but here, it's right? like meanwhile these kids are, are being in limbo. traumatized yes and he's losing the relationship with them yes she Ugh. still has them and is further alienating them from him this is the horrific this is the case you guys this is you know something else really big happens that is is terrible but this is what i wanted to like shed light on of what happens and for in our county review hearings are every three months. Yeah. So when I was a foster care worker, uh, the family didn't go back in front of the judge for three months before we could talk about, you know, goals, how we're meeting the goals for reunification. Remember, they're not in foster care. This is about a divorce. This is family court for a divorce. This isn't even like what you and I are used to between CPS and foster care, right? This is, this is family court all over custody. 
So, um, this is so crazy. The other thing I wanted to throw in here too, j- just to let you know that Sandra did, is she pulled Sammy, Samantha, out of school one day, had took her to go make a bunch of copies of David's bank statements and social security number. And then they were seen on a, I think it was a Macy's video camera, spreading it all, all of his private information around the parking lot. And she took her daughter out of school to do so. And that came out during that review hearing that it was on video. Oh my she gosh. she denies it all the time. There is video, even of though her. there's video. Yes. Of course, of, yeah, exactly. Of no, course. she's not going to accept the reality. Mm-hmm. No, I pe- people like this can't. No, they can't accept truth. No, that's why when you're onto them, they have to get rid of you or create problems for further you. scenarios mm-hmm. yep. to eliminate. So I'm not even surprised when you said she tries to get rid of uh, Julie. Oh yeah. Not surprised. On February 1st, the order was signed and stated that therapeutic supervised visitation is ordered because of parental alienation. So that's the judge's orders in terms of the custody. At this point in time, the children are very conflicted. They don't trust the system. It wasn't until February 27th that David got his first supervised parenting visit with the kids. After the first session, the children were reporting to to the therapist that their father was giving them murder glares and that he would use his middle finger to scratch his head to flip them off. Oh my gosh. After the second session, it was ended by the therapist after only 20 minutes because of the way the children were reacting. And by the third visit, the children refused to enter the therapy room. And we do find out later that is because Sandra told them to, to be all of this stuff, to do all this stuff. Remember, those were supervised visits. The therapist could see he was not giving them murder glares and he was not flipping them off with his middle finger. That was all made up and they could like they could see that. They knew it was coming like from we somewhere. We literally didn't right. see like, him that do did that. Did not all. happen. So at the request of the visitation therapist, that visitation for reunification was to be stopped due to the severe emotional distress that it put the children in. It was that therapist's opinion that the children remain in the care of Sandra due to the strong emotional bond and a determination of custody could not be ruled on at that time. So this is how many times people are just like, we can't really make a definite Correct. decision. Because of the strong reaction that the children are having to their father. And I get I, it. Yeah, I get but it. Once a, once a judge has already identified parental alienation, we should probably look closer at getting the children away from that parent that is doing the alienating as well and work towards reunification to both of them. I feel not like because keep of them her but but I get it and again, this isn't like a CPS reunification thing. This is just a divorce. Yeah. Where she had full custody, I mean, albeit shady terms, but that that's what convolutes all of this. Every couple couple of months review hearings were held throughout 2012 all dealing with different disagreements about financial disagreements, custody issues, all of that. Now, David was not giving up on wanting time with his children, but it should be noted, as I said earlier, that David was following the court order to the T. He was getting those evaluations. Everything was coming back just fine. He was part, he, and, and Sandra was still not participating in the order at all. She did not want to participate in family counseling with the children, unification counseling, anything. The GAL started to report concerns for the children's home conditions, so Julie, and, um, and, and it got really bad. The home conditions got really, really bad. And, and um, 
So at that point in time, David's lawyer, Lisa, petitioned to have the children placed in his care until the necessary fixes were made to the home and it was made safe and clean for the children. So Judge Knudsen did not grant that to him due to the lack of progress being made in the reunification counseling and the recommendation of the therapist saying, oh, I don't think this is a good time, you know, time right now. But he did open the line of communication between David and the kids, still allowing phone calls, text messages, emails, that sort of thing. And in August 2012, it's now been well over a year since David had seen his kids. They got, um, they go to court, they settled some property division stuff. At that or at that hearing, it wasn't about the kids, okay? But the judge did point out, Sandra, you still have not taken the kids to be evaluated by a doctor that was specifically recommended because he specialized in parental alienation, okay? So he's like, you are to take these children tomorrow to Dr. Paul Rutman, Reitman. All the financial crap is now settled on. Here's my final order on that, but now we can focus from this point forward. Now we're going to focus on the kids. Kind of pisses me off. It's August 2012. This started in May 2011, and we're just now getting to where, okay, all the financial stuff is settled and house division and all that stuff is officially settled. Now we'll focus on the kids. That is backwards. And so she was like, you need to take the children and you need to get this done. So when she met with Dr. Paul Reitman, Sandra starts spinning the tale that she, you know, has never stopped the kids seeing their father, that they were going to be homeless soon because she was in a really dire way. She was penniless. She was about to be homeless. And she literally tells Dr. Reitman that she's prepared to give David full custody of all five of the children. What? Like, I can't afford them. I, I'm, I'm, I want them to go live with him. But then in the same conversation, and of course, she's carrying on about how this, it's the same tale of we got a divorce that we'd agreed upon. And then once I paid his debt, then he was claiming he didn't know about it. And he was so abusive and yada, yada. Then she's like, by the way, um, San, Sammy and Gianna told me that David was sexually molesting them. Oh my gosh, now she's throwing that in. Of course the mix. she is. At the in the same conversation that she is saying she's willing to give him full custody because she's homeless and she has no money and she can't afford them. And David is paying his child support, by the way. Yes. So this poor man. So Doc right, Dr. Reitman's just thrown into this and this is what he noted. He's like, okay, so was he also like I quit? Because <laughs> I would have been done he's here. like, I can't do this. Well, he definitely saw through it all. In his report to the court, he mentioned that she was disorganized, very paranoid, and her mood seemed manic and irritable. He said, quote, this is from um the girls are gone. Their mother seems to be out of touch and suffering from a personality disorder as well as a mood disorder, and the custody proceedings are clearly taking a toll on the children. He also outlined for the judge the eight key components for parental alienation, which are usually exhibited by children in this situation, and he confirmed that all of the Rucky children showed all eight components. Well done, sir. Yes. Well done. Yes, and and there is some criticism onto parental alienation in the components um at this time but it is it's very well accepted as a real thing and absolutely as someone who has worked in cps and has seen how bad parents can get 
fighting over their children. Oh, it's a real thing for sure. So now we have two people that yes. are an, suggesting an, the parental alienation. Someone who specializes in parental alienation is saying there are eight key components and every one of these children have every component to it. And you can read what those components are in the book. His report to the court, or sorry, his recommend, recommendation to the judge was very specific. The children should be removed and placed in a therapeutic foster home with adults that support reunification. But before reunification, the children need to see a professional that has worked in the helping of deprogramming of a child or adolescent who has been manipulated or uh, has been manip- manipulated to hate any member of the child's family. So in this case, David, he's like, hey, they need removed. This is serious. This is happening. They need to be out of her care. And you've got the GAL talking about the home conditions too. So on September 5th, 2012, there was an emergency hearing to remove the children from Sandra's care. There were multiple discussions of who the children should be placed with, which is typically a family member. We do that in Michigan. You always have to place with a, if you can, with an appropriate family member first before going through a licensed foster home through the state. So David's, sis- David's sister, Tammy Love, was a chiropractor in, the, in Lakeview. She stepped up to take all five of her nieces and nephews. But due to the significant history of Sandra not following court orders and the state of her mental health, they did place a no-contact order in place so that Sandra could not manipulate the children into hating their caregivers as well. But it was also during this hearing that it was pointed out that Sam, Sandra claimed two of the girls made sexual abuse allegations against their father, and so they they couldn't give David custody of the children at this time. That needed to be investigated. Dr. Reitman was like, okay, we need to have the girls examined for said sexual abuse, and they're like, no, no, no. Sandra says, no, the Children's Safety Center has already determined that they had been abused, and that was not true. But that's what she was telling the doctor at the t- you know, Dr. Reitman at the time. Even if the judge had wanted to make a transfer of custody at that time, he couldn't because those allegations of sexual abuse had to now be investigated. investigated. And keep in mind, these children don't trust the system. And now you have more investigators coming in to investigate. How tired are they of being tired, you know, being interviewed about their family's um, issues? You know, it's it's too much. So the judge decided that Sandra would be removed from the home where the children resided. And this is not uncommon, that it's in the kids' best interest to keep them in their home. She would be removed. They would remove her because, quite frankly, their interest is in the kids, is for the kids. Tammy Love was willing to move into the children's home with them. And David was allowed access into the home to help Tammy make repairs because the home had graffiti all over the walls it was urine soaked. There was, oh my gosh, it was it was trashed. It needed repairs. So obviously Tammy can't do that on her own. David was granted access to be able to come into the home and help her make repairs. Sandra knows all this is going to happen. This is September fifth. Okay, so they they have plans to like transition. They give her two days to transition out of the house, prepare the children, all of that. That was a big mistake, in my opinion. Tammy went to the home on September 7th, 2012, and she could not get in. The doors were locked. The garage code The garage code was changed. Tammy called the police for help. The two youngest, Nina, Nia, excuse me, and Gino, were due to arrive home on the bus. 
A neighbor watched them run in the opposite direction when they got off the bus and saw that Tammy was in, in the driveway. And the oldest three, Miko, Samantha, and Gianna, had not come home after school either. Police officers picked up Mia and Gino a short while later. Tammy and David thought that Nico might be attending the Friday night football game with his friends because, you know, he's a 15-year-old boy at this point in time. But the two oldest girls, Samantha and Gianna, had also, um, they they did locate them. They were um, at the police department when they were supposed to be coming home from school. They went to the police department to file a police report against their Aunt Tammy saying that she was abusive and that they did not want to live with her. Oh my gosh. This is what we find out much later, many years later. But Sandra had went home, packed up the house, and told her kids not to come home. She told these young little peop- little little babies of her, Nia and Gino, to run. She didn't care where they went. They just weren't allowed to come home. They were like 10 and 11. What? Yep. She told the girls to go to the police station and make that file again, that claim against Tammy. And she told Nico not to come home. Yep. So Nico was at a friend's house. He was actually picked up at the friend's house and taken by the police to back to his home where David and Tammy were waiting. And he told this story at the end about how he was in the back of the police car and they had stopped at like a stoplight and his friends, all of his friends walked by because they were in front of the school and they were going to the football game and they saw him and he was mortified because their house was actually right across the street from the school. That's so sad. Yes. Yep. This poor kid. All because of his mom's manipulation mm-hmm. and yep. games and lies yep. and power and control struggle, uh, everything. Now, Nico was willing to stay at the house with Tammy. He's like, yeah, I'll live with Aunt Tammy. No big deal. Unbeknownst to everybody at this time, Nico hadn't been living with his mom for like three months. He ran away to his friend's house and no one knew that because he was sick of living in those conditions. But we don't find that out for years either. So he's living with, with Tammy. Now Now they had to like break into the house to gain entry. That's when they found what a horrible state the house was in. You know, the urine-soaked upholstery. It was filthy. The, clo- the floors had not been cleaned at all. There was garbage everywhere, clothing everywhere. They had been living in literal filth. Obviously, Tammy's like, okay, we got to like get this cleaned up. She slept on the couch that night, which can we get a slow clap for Tammy Love and her love for her nieces and nephews. Oh, Tammy, you are my hero. At that point in time, Nico's kind of like, yeah, can you not come upstairs because it's real bad upstairs? And she she agreed to that because she wanted to start off their relationship with trust and, you know, respecting boundaries and whatnot. What they end up doing for the four youngest, though, because (laughs) clearly... uh, First of all, the house is, is unlivable for younger children. But also the the fact that there's now allegations against Tammy made by the two two of the girls and the younger ones saying that they didn't want to live with her. The court did grant the children um, to go live with Sandra's sister, Nancy Olson, who the kids had a relationship with. Gotcha. She agreed to take on the four youngest. So she does. And that's that is what the situation is. And they do end up several weeks later getting like Tammy Love and Nancy Olson and her husband have temporary custody of the kids so that they can sign paperwork for school and you know do all the legal things that they need to get them medical appointments and whatnot they carry on like this for a while and on November 7th that's my birthday 2012 Lisa Henry became Sandra's third lawyer to drop her like a bad habit 
And now she going to represent herself. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, th- I said this was the first one I've heard of, and now we're on number now, three. Right, exactly. I bring it to you several times. That tells you how bad it must have been. Correct. Correct. Not even money can keep that, which I don't know how much she was really paying people. but So the one that she gave 80 grand to yeah. stepped Peaced out. out. Peaced out. Probably after she'd used up all of her 80 grand dealing with her ass. Yeah. I would think. Oh, my gosh. So I think for this episode, that's where I'm going to leave you. It gets real intense in the next episode because I'm going to tell you this is a missing persons case. So stay tuned. Right now, I've really set the scene of just how how bad, how much in crisis this family is because of one woman's actions. And we're going to find out in the next episode that it was it, she gets a group of supporters and it becomes a group of many adults' actions that um, lead to two of the children missing. Wow. Yep. So I am still taking all of it in. Hang in on the edge of your seat. If you're a Patreon, you get the episode right away. So keep that in mind. Go to crimecuriouspatreon.com. We have levels at 3 5 and $10 a month. You can sign up, and anytime we do two-parters, you get them right, o- right away. You also get early access to them and extra bonus content. So, I mean, you know, there's that. Huge but incentive. Yes, yep. So, okay, hang with us, marinate in all of this. Think about it process. I've given you a lot to think about. And then um, we're going to come back on Thursday and finish this up for you. So, and there is an ending. There is closure at Dear the end. God, let there be an ending. I'll leave you open for the week, <laughs> but then... There will be closure. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, so. good. All right. Until Thursday, everyone. Bye. Bye.